Today, this is the Masterclass Series from Sales Whale. Uh, my name is Brandon Gargan. I'm the Director of Sales here at Sales Whale. And joining me today is Mike Volpe, the CEO of Lola.com and former founder and CMO of HubSpot. Uh, he was at the forefront of the inbound marketing movement, building the HubSpot marketing function from the ground up. During his time at HubSpot, he increased revenue from zero to $175 million while taking them through a successful IPO with a $2 billion valuation. When it comes to inbound marketing, Mike is the person to talk to. So thanks for joining us today, Mike. I'm happy to be here. This is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. So before we jump in here, there are a lot of different words that are thrown around for inbound marketing. But in your words, how would you describe inbound marketing? <laughs> um, wow, it's been a while since I've, I've uttered these words. But um, inbound marketing is the concept of bringing people to naturally come to your company by them encountering you in their normal life and business world uh, and not interrupting in them in any way. So not using an advertisement to interrupt them, not using uh, outbound email or cold email to interrupt them, not using cold calling, um, things like that. So anything that's like content or I even think of freemium products or free tools as another form of inbound marketing. Um, any of those types of things are, are great inbound marketing tactics. Awesome. And, and why would you recommend that a company invest in an inbound strategy as opposed to say like a heavy outbound? I mean, they both can work. The advantages that inbound usually has is usually it's lower cost. Um, and a big reason for that is the things that you do to build inbound. It's not like you do a bunch of effort and get return back and then the return ends. It's like the return pays you back over time. So it's really much more like you're building an asset. So if you have a great free tool that people love, even if you don't do any work in that free tool, people are, once they start to use it, they're still gonna use it and come back to you and other people are gonna find it and come to you. If you publish a piece of content that's useful and it gets you know, a little bit of SEO traffic, it's typically not you know, the day after you publish it, not gonna get any more traffic, it's gonna you know, get more over time. Uh, versus if you're doing any sort of like cold emailing or cold calling, the second you stop picking up the phone or typing out those emails, you're going to get zero additional response uh, for the most part. And so what I love about inbound marketing is that you can sort of something you sort of do on a regular basis and you're building up this asset that continues to build, pay more and more dividends to your business in terms of lead generation. So, um, you know, I used to joke at HubSpot after four or five years that, the entire marketing team could go on vacation for a month and our lead flow would have only dropped by about 25% because 75% of the leads we were generating were from things that we had published in prior time periods. Uh, and that's obviously after years and years and years of investment uh, and a lot of hard work. But I think that idea is really appealing to people. And so it sort of gives you that compound interest. It's like saving for retirement really early. If you can invest, it pays a lot of dividends over time. I love that. It's sort of like the gift that keeps on giving. It really, it, re it really is. And it, it just, uh, it's much easier to be running sales marketing or running a whole company. If you have a strong inbound marketing program, because you know, you're just kind of getting this flow of traffic in every month. And all you're trying to do is raise the bar of how much traffic is going to come in the next month. Um, uh, versus again, a lot of the other things that are more advertising driven or more sort of directly paid. Um, you know, as soon as you stop paying Google money or stop paying Facebook money, they turn your ads off. And so you don't get any additional benefit from them. But, um, 
you know, your rankings don't get turned off immediately for blog articles or videos or things like that. So it can be really effective if you do it right over time. It just takes a lot of investment. For sure. So um, you told me this was fair game, so I'm going to go here. Um, you recently tweeted, we sold inbound marketing so hard, no one knew what HubSpot actually did, but it worked. Um, I know we laughed about that here at SalesWell, um, but it was a good tweet. So let's dig into it a little bit more. Walk me through your thought process while you were at HubSpot. At the very beginning, why did you decide to go with an inbound strategy? So um, this tweet, I think it was in response to maybe something from April Dunford, who wrote the book, uh, obviously awesome, about positioning. And I, and I think it was sort of in a thread about the importance of positioning and um, the opportunity you have if you're creating a whole new market. So back in 2007, no one talked about inbound marketing. It was, it was almost no search traffic in Google. It was not a thing. And early on, we felt like we had a different way of approaching marketing. We, um, uh, and we wanted to build a company around that. So it was much less about like, oh, people do email marketing with, you know, whatever tool, cost of contact or something. And we think we can build a better email marketing tool. This was a new philosophical approach to marketing. And we thought there was an opportunity to create a new market around that term. And so after a lot of debate and discussion about what was the right term to describe the thing we were talking about, we settled in about marketing and we started talking to people about it. So publishing content about it, having webinars about it. And even in our, our, when we were demonstrating our product, we said, you know, if you heard of inbound marketing, let me tell you what inbound marketing was. It was almost a two-step sales process where we were selling people on the concept of inbound marketing and then selling them on how our software could help them do inbound marketing more effectively. Uh, and so what was interesting was we sold the concept of inbound marketing so much harder than we were selling really the features of our software that, I don't know, four years into building the company, we started to realize that a lot of people knew what inbound marketing was, knew that HubSpot was like the inbound marketing people, but didn't know actually like how we made money or what kind of business we had. Um, and so I, a lot of people would say like, wow, that was a giant mistake. I think, no, it was the exact right thing to do, right? And because so many, we had sort of created this whole new market. Anybody who thought about inbound marketing, the next word out of their mouth was HubSpot. And so we sort of like owned this new category that we created. It was certainly much harder to create a category than it would be to like enter an existing market. But what we loved about it was we were number one in this brand new category that we created. And that's really what you're always really ultimately trying to achieve with positioning is be the number one choice for some segment of the world. And maybe you need to take this big market and sort of slice things off and say, Oh, well, we're the best pen for left-handed people. And then you can be the best or whatever it is. But I think it's when you're starting a company, I think it's important to find some part of the universe where you really can be the best in uh, demonstrable ways. For sure. And I, you use the phrase, uh, we sold a movement, not a product, which I really liked. I think that um, it, it kind of helps you just sort of evangelize it, if you will, you know, this whole new space. It allowed people to be part of what we were building without having to give us money because some marketers didn't have a job at the time or they were running a one person marketing agency or they were too junior to have any power to actually buy our product. Um, and what happened was, is because they were able to be part of the movement, they kind of followed along. And two, three, four years later, we were finding that people that 
when they were in college in a marketing class had come across us or read some stuff or maybe it was part of their class or whatever it was four years later they just got promoted to like director of marketing and now they have more budget authority more influence and they're like buying hubspot to use at their company and not really comparing us against much else they were just like oh well of course i would buy hubspot but it wasn't like that happened overnight it was like it's kind of took time again to build up um so we i think were you know partly smart but also partly lucky that it all just worked and we had really good we got lucky with the timing there were a lot of things we got lucky with but that idea of sort of building this movement that predisposes people to doing business with you, um, even if they don't fully understand what your product is, I think is can be something that's really, really powerful for the right company in the right time in the right place. For sure. And so for companies that maybe can't build their own market, right, like you guys did, um, what was something you did that was really successful that maybe other companies weren't doing? Um, at the time, a couple things we did were uh, we launched a free tool called Website Grader. Uh, the co-founder Darmesh built it and it was um, now it's kind of morphed and it's sort of a totally different thing. But at the time it, you typed in your company's URL or any company's URL and it kind of churned away for 30 seconds or a minute and then spit back out a bunch of SEO, social media, traffic, like other factors about the website and gave you a grade and gave you a few tips on things you could change and improve about the website. Those types of things are pretty common now, but in 2000, early 2007, they were not that common. And um, it very quickly started to get us like thousands of new email registrations, email signups per month. Um, and a lot of the folks who were using the tool ended up being good leads for our sales team as well, because we had this tool that was telling you the things you could do better in terms of online marketing. And guess what? Like we actually have both some ideas and education about that and a product that helps you with those things. Um, so that was something that, that I think has become much more common. The second thing is in 2007, it wasn't that common for companies to have a blog and certainly not like an information rich blog. Um, all, you know, that's obviously different now. Lots, almost every company has a blog. They try to do inbound marketing or have content marketing or whatever be part of their strategy. I think people do it with mixed levels of dedication and success. But at the time, the, those, the website grader tool and the blog were the two biggest sources of our growth. Um, and at the time, they were things that most other companies weren't doing. That's awesome. So what would you say was one of your first failures that you learned from and, and what exactly did you learn from it? Oh, boy. Um, tons of failures along the way. Oh, there was... <laughs> There was one thing we did. We, we tried to be sort of cutting edge. We sort of thought we had to be um, trying lots of new things because we were sort of marketing to marketers and we had to be kind of like the world's best case study in terms of inbound marketing and online engagement. And so uh, at, at the time, and this is a few years in, we, um, there were a lot of sort of like online game scavenger hunt things that were sort of like becoming popular uh, or like ARGs, ARGs, like alternate reality games. And we thought, well, maybe it'd be interesting to, to kind of like put a game out there with like a prize and stuff and have this community that we built like work together to find clues and figure out what had happened. And so we created this scenario where uh, an old school advertising agency had sued us and forced us to take down in this thing called Inbound Marketing University, which is all of our training and education stuff. So not something that people paid for, but something that people found valuable. And then we had all these clues. We had audio files that were backwards. So you figure, had to figure out how to like listen to them backwards. 
um, to like find certain clues, things that were embedded in images, and this whole like thing, this really, really cool thing. It was going to be like a four or five day game. And we were psyched about it. That was gonna be like so cool. Like two hours into us posting the notice that we had been sued. So we had to take down all these educational materials and here's how you can help us like solve the puzzle or whatever. I started getting like tweets and emails like, what have you done with my webinars? How do I learn about email marketing? I told my boss I was going to finish the email marketing certification this week. Now I can't. What are you doing? What's going on? Ah, you know, pitchforks and, and torches coming out. And it was like, oh boy, what did we do? Right. Um, so we quickly apologized within a few more hours. We sort of had like reversed everything we had done. There were like a couple dozen people who had started on the path of getting the game and had already gotten like three or four clues and were super excited about it. So we were right about that part. But the part we weren't right about was that the 80% of the community that wasn't going to engage with the game that was sort of in the middle, maybe not our best fans, but like a key part of the base was kind of like, they're like, yeah, that game you have is really cute, but it's like really interfering with my ability to do my job. Like, what are you doing? Um, even though it wasn't a paid product, it was this free thing we had done. So it showed us like how important that stuff was and how much people loved it. Um, but we totally missed the boat on that one, man. It was like, a, I was super excited. I thought we were going to win all kinds of marketing awards for doing this really cool, innovative thing. And man, it just completely backfired. But um, the key with mistakes is just pick yourself up and, you know, um, uh, make some changes and adjust from it quickly. And so we did that and, you know, it ended up not really affecting anything, you know, more than that week or so. Real fast. <laughs> so uh, obviously a lot has changed in the last 13 years, uh, not even including COVID. Many companies sort of saw the success you guys had at HubSpot and tried to replicate it, tried to take on this inbound marketing. Um, ultimately what that meant was more companies vying for eyeballs, more inbound marketing strategies and how did you adapt to those? So it's interesting for us because we had started early and we made such a big investment because we want to be the world's best case study in inbound marketing. I don't know that it affected us at HubSpot that much because by the time everyone else in the world was like rushing in and creating all this content, we had thousands of articles, millions of visitors coming to the site. Uh, and we just had such a big authority position in terms of SEO and social media and all these things and the community we had that it was kind of, we just, we had built up the advantage over years that it, it was sort of like we were in a good position. But I think the thing that's changed is because we convinced so many people to be part of this movement and believe in it that, like you said, everyone's doing a lot of these things now. It's become a lot harder. So if you launch a new company today um, in whatever industry, there probably are a bunch of folks blogging, writing, making videos, talking about discussing, maybe having forums, whatever, maybe some free tools for that market. And so the, the bar that you need to surpass in order to have the best content that's going to rank well in Google and be shared in social media is much higher today than it used to be. Um, and so I think one of the biggest changes is really that you need to create probably longer form, higher quality content, probably do more multimedia content, video, podcasting, you know, different types of images, maybe it's presentations, whatever it is. Um, that bar for content is just much, much higher today than it was a dozen years ago. Because uh, the state of the art way back then was, you know, very few companies blogged weren't doing video, like so much of this stuff was so much harder and just not well understood back then that 
you very easily. I mean, in the year, first couple of years of HubSpot, what our customer would be like the only company in XYZ industry that was blogging about that topic. I mean, I remember a company called um, Indium, they made solder paste. So if you were like attaching microchips to like circuit boards, they made the, that glue basically. And um, they were, they had a whole blog about like solder paste and these different things and temperatures and microchips and all this, like not super interesting to me or something that I even really understood, but they were like the only one in that industry and they were just crushing it. Cause anybody in their industry that's searching for any of those terms, is like finding their stuff like all day long, cause no one else in the industry ever thought to like blog about those things. Right. Um, today it's, it's, I'm sure in that industry and in every industry, it's just way different. The, the bar for quality um, and the value of the content you're creating is just much, much higher. For sure. So how do you think consumers have changed in the past 13 years and how does that influence your marketing decisions? Yeah, I mean, I, consumers have certainly, I think, continued. Part of the inbound marketing thesis was that consumers had a lot more power. Buyers had a lot more power. That has certainly continued. There's more and more transparency of information, more and more ways to get pricing about different products. Uh, I mean, let's say you're buying a car, you know, 13 years ago, it was hard to figure out what a good price was. Now you can get a quote from five dealers in a couple of clicks and there's services like TrueCar that tell you, you know, of those prices, like where they fall on the good, bad price spectrum, right? Uh, car Gurus has done the same thing for used cars. They have like a good, bad price meter to and all their results. So the transparency of information and the availability of that information to a consumer in seconds through a Google search or whatever, um, has changed a lot. The amount of like reviews that you can check up on and the ability to like actually get feedback from actual customers of a, of a company or of a product is much better. So there's just so much more information at your fingertips. Um, that was definitely a trend that we saw that was like part of, you know, what, why we were doing what we were doing, but that has, has absolutely come true and it's been a lot stronger. So I think as a company now, it's, much harder or maybe even impossible to hide for more than a short period of time behind a bad product. I think you used to be able to sell bad products 20 years ago and it would take a long, long time for word to get out. Now the word gets out much faster and it's much harder to have a bad product. So having a really good customer experience, really responsive service, uh, living up to the promises that you're making to your customers has become a lot more important than it used to be. For sure. I think part of a strong content strategy is sort of owning those channels as well, right? Like how many people go to G2 immediately and look up all the, all the different products that they're, they're considering. Yeah, that's right. And I think that those conversations about the competition have become a lot more honest. I mean, even at Lola, we have pages and we do this at HubSpot 10 years ago of, you know, Lola versus X company and like what the differences are and sort of our viewpoint and why for many companies we're a better solution than some of our competition. And you would never have seen, you know, 25 years ago, people giving out a brochure about their product in a sales meeting and saying, oh, if you wanna see how we compare to the competition, go to this page, and like laying that out there, that never would have happened. But now, you know, people are gonna figure out in a couple minutes, why don't you just embrace it and tell your side of the story um, and maybe even have some customer quotes or reviews to like back up, back up that information or other third-party validation. But it's like, you almost need to embrace those things and not run away from it, not hide from it. For sure. So about four to five months ago, COVID took the world by storm. Um, a lot has changed. A lot of people have gone remote. I think companies are trying to sort of learn and adapt to this new world that we're in. Um, what impact has that had on inbound marketing? 
It's interesting. I think, um, so, you know, we talked about how the bar has gotten a lot higher, but I think what's happened in the last four months is inbound marketing has become even more important. Um, I mean, try calling someone in their office right now. I mean, it was hard enough before because a lot of people didn't answer their phones. Now they're not even next to their phone. They couldn't even answer their phone if they wanted to, right? Uh, so that's really hard. Um, if you're doing any sort of like direct mail programs, I've had success in the past of like physical mail in conjunction with like an SDR team doing a lot of calling and things like that. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, where are you going to send the piece of physical mail? There's a couple ways to get some home addresses and things like that, but that's really hard. Um, any businesses that relied on like in-person events, trade shows, you know, um, demo meetings. I've been at done marketing for companies where you would do like a road show and do 20, 30 person lunches with a demonstration and kind of like a sales, you know, road show meeting. Uh, you're not doing those anymore. So you're sort of left with an environment where all of your customers are at home. They're online all day long. You, it's even harder for you to get in touch with them but they're searching for stuff. They're solving problems. They're using their computer. They're on the internet all day. They're watching videos. They're reading articles and things like that. So I think um, inbound marketing has become a lot more important. And in many ways, the companies just, I think, need to be investing more into it. I think people's consumption habits have probably changed a little bit. Like I sort of wonder if video now is a better place to be than podcasting. Like I know podcasting was a super popular format for, uh, while you're commuting, people are still certainly listening to podcasts, but I'll tell you my personal behavior is I'm, I'm listening less podcasts now because I don't have 40 minutes on the train twice a day anymore. Um, I'm probably watching a little bit more video. I'm definitely reading more articles. So I'd say the biggest changes is how the importance of inbound has even increased because it's so much harder to do the typical outbound stuff. Um, and then maybe think a little bit about for your particular audience, are there different mediums or has their sort of content consumption changed given the environment that we're in? For sure. And I think a lot of companies too are trying to figure out like, are things going to go back to the way that they were or are things going to sort of change forever? Um, what trends have you seen during COVID that you think will be the new norm or will stick around after this all sort of washes over, hopefully washes over? I mean, I think it's a little hard to tell, um, <laughs> but um I think the embracing of remote, it won't be absolute, but I think we'll, we will certainly embrace remote more than we used to. Um, for marketing, I think what that means is that those content consumption habits have probably changed, not permanently, but sort of permanently. Um, I do think it's a little easier if you can connect with someone to actually get on their calendar. Like it's, because my day is now broken up into 30 minute video chats, it, it's actually easier to get on my calendar that way because I don't need to think about like, oh, where are we gonna meet and what time? And okay, if they're coming to the office, I kind of got to give them an hour because it's in person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like what's all that look like? Or if we're gonna meet in person at a coffee shop, what part, you know, when are they gonna be in Cambridge versus, you know, the South Station area of Boston versus wherever. Now it's just like, I send, I send you a link to my calendar and like you just book 30 minutes with me and it's no problem. So I think it's, I think once you connect with people, it's easier to get in. So um, I do think that that type of working has like changed. Like a lot of those things have changed and those are things like marketers need to think about embracing. For sure. So if you're a new company today, 
right? Um, and you're looking to implement an inbound marketing strategy, where do you start? Like, where should that company begin? Um, it always starts with the customers. And so you need to understand your customers. What are their pain points, not just to do with your particular product or solution, but in general, if you were to be them for a day, what are the things that would be your biggest challenges? What are the things you'd be looking to like improve? What are the questions you'd be asking your peers or uh, what are the things you'd be searching for solutions for in Google? All those things. And so it really starts with the customer. And then from there, you just need to think about, okay, if I wanted to be the best possible informational resource, and that could be written content, it could be video content, it could be discussion forums, it could be some sort of peer group, it could be, it could even be live events, it could be you know, it could be free tools or interactive tools or a freemium model. It could be any of those things. Like if you wanted to help that person do their job better um, or accomplish the things that they want to accomplish, what would you do? And if you start from that standpoint, you'll usually end up somewhere in like the right place. I think one of the places that people fall down is starting with their product and saying, okay, I have this product. How do I write things about this product? And I've always found it to be easier and more effective. If you start with a customer, get them interested because you're really trying to be helpful to them and then figure out how to get from there. Not once you have their attention from there, like to your product and to your solution. Um, so I just start with the customer and start with the audience. Don't start with your product. Yeah. And that's so true. Even to a consumer, just when I'm looking up issues, I don't go online and typically look up, you know, a software, I go online and look up a solution to a problem and then stumble into that software and then do my research from there. So um, I love that. So last question for you uh, before we hop into a few Q and A questions, um, your background is in marketing and you've had tremendous success, obviously as a CMO. How does your marketing background help help you in your current role as CEO of Lola? And do you think it's important for CEOs in general to have a deeper understanding of marketing? I think it always helps to have an understanding of marketing. I think it depends what kind of company though. So um, for a consumer company, I think if you have a CEO who has background in brand and brand development and consumer behavior and things like that, that's super helpful that's often a product role or a marketing role in that world. I think if you're selling to mid-sized businesses uh, and you have either a very lightweight sales touch, like an inside sales team or um, any sort of like very lightweight sales process or even no sales process and people are buying without sales reps and it's like an e-commerce subscription or a SaaS product that's bought with a credit card. Um, Anything in that world, it really helps to have a marketing background because I think marketing is very important to the growth engine of companies like that. As you move into much, much, much larger deals and much longer sales processes, marketing is still important, but I think it's frankly less important that the CEO has a marketing background. I think they need to be actually like to get in front of customers and sell and close individual deals because if a deal is a million dollars or $5 million, it actually makes economic sense for the CEO to like try to help with that particular deal. Um, it doesn't make sense if a deal is $3,000 for a CEO to spend a lot of their time trying to close those individual deals. I still get on and help with deals because um, I enjoy it. I like to show the sales team that I believe in them and value their work. And I like to hear from customers like what's going well. It's kind of my canary in a coal mine. 
Um, but from an economic perspective, that's only because there's all those other benefits, especially the one of me learning more and more about the market and the customers. Um, but other, but aside from those benefits, there's no reason why I should be spending time like you know closing individual deals. But I could be spending a lot of time on what does our sales process look like? What do the things look like? How are our leads coming from? What's our marketing process look like? Things like that. So I think it kind of depends on the company. But for I've lived most of my life selling to mid-sized businesses, like kind of SMBs. And in those types of companies, I do think it it's, can be really advantageous for the CEO to have a marketing background. Cool. Um, well, I have a few questions here from the Q&A, if that's all right with you. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So the first one, um, my sales team doesn't understand and appreciate what my marketing team does. How do I deal with this? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, working with sales is difficult, um, but exceedingly important. Rat, I'd say a couple of things about it. One is you have to build enough of a relationship with sales and show them that you care and show them that you don't think the company has had a win unless they're being successful and they're bringing more revenue in the door. And um, sometimes that means you need to like actually get in the trenches and like hop on demos with them and try to help them close deals. Sometimes it means you need to take hundred leads and call and email them all and them all and show sales that you're, you know, you're in there sort of poking around trying to make things happen. And really on that one, I think it's good to be able to speak from firsthand experience about what the lead quality is actually like. Um, and you know, if sales is complaining about lead quality, then you can tell them like, well, I called a hundred of the leads myself last week and I set up seven appointments. Do you think that's good or bad? Like how many or whatever, like, um, so just having some of that first year experience and sort of showing, showing them you're in the fight with them is one way. Um, but I also think that there's other things you can do. I always used to talk about, you have to remember to market your marketing. So especially once the company gets beyond a certain size, you know, 20, 30, 40 people, it gets big enough that sale, everyone in sales doesn't know what marketing does. They kind of get disconnected. Same thing on the other side of the coin. And you need to remember that every time you do something cool, so launch a new free tool or do a big webinar or whatever, you need to talk to the sales team about that and tell them why you did it, why you think it was cool, a couple of things that weren't perfect that maybe you could do better for next time and just like share that information with them. And rather than, you know, once they've already don't know what you're doing and sort of distrusted you, then trying to come back in and sell them and why you're valuable, you're better off doing it like a little bit at a time. And so we used to spend a lot of time once the sales team got beyond 10 or 15 people at HubSpot of just talking to the entire sales team, joining a lot of their all hands meetings, you know, email, wiki posts, whatever the case may be about why we we're doing certain things, why certain things were working, why we we're excited about the results from XYZ program or why in something else we weren't excited about the results and why we weren't going to do it anymore. Just so they had this constant flow of us marketing how we were doing marketing to them. Um, and I think if you do it on a more consistent basis, you have better luck than if all of a sudden, you know, a year later, they're like, oh, well, marketing's terrible. It's really hard to dig yourself out of that hole. So um, I think we'd like to do a little bit of digging every day rather than a lot of digging once a year. For sure. Um, so another question for you, and this one actually we've had some internal debate on, obviously we're doing a webinar here today, but do webinars still work? I think they do. I think the purpose has changed a little bit. I think more people sign up for them and then don't attend live than used to be the case. 
there was always a decent drop off, but it used to, way back, it used to be 60, 65% would attend live out of the ones that signed up. Now I think the ratio is kind of reversed and it's, it's far less than half actually show up live. But I think more people are listening to the recording, especially with tools where you can like listen to things at like double speed and things like that. Um, so I do think webinars still work. I also think that even if you don't have a giant attendance on a webinar, it can be one of the things where you can do a webinar with someone and then you've got 30 minutes, 45, 60 minutes of content that you can break up and use in lots of different ways. Probably if you wanted to, like this webinar could probably become five blog articles maybe, um, and or an ebook and maybe 75 Twitter posts, depending on how you know much interesting controversial stuff we've said here. So um, it gives you certainly an opportunity to like use it as a base to create other content. So even if there was only one person here or something like that, you can still use this and use the recording and use the whole conversation. It's like, oh great, now we're gonna go have some folks create all this other content based on it. So yeah, I think just how you use webinars has maybe changed a little bit, but I still think they're valuable. For sure. I know that we plan to do a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Um, but I think for us, the debate was, do we have it live or do we just take it offline and then kind of, you know, divvy out those clips and um, posts as after the fact. The nice thing about live events and webinars, it's, it's something that people expect to give their contact information for because you need to send the link and the, like all the, the, the recording afterwards, all those things versus like you could never, you know, have a blog post be behind a gate. And I think it's even increasingly hard to have like eBooks behind a gate. So, um, it's good because you have an opportunity to like get some signups and things like that, follow up with people and why not make it live? It's, it's no much, it's no harder today to open up a zoom and have scheduled it and done a little bit of promotion for it and then just hit the record button. And then you've got the tool going forward of all that content that you can break up in different ways. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still a fan of live webinars. Awesome. So last question for you. Um, I get that the quality bar of content has raised. What that means is generating content is more expensive. What suggestions do you have for inbound on a shoestring budget? The great news about inbound is the way you're successful with it is much more about brain power than budget power. And so just having a million dollar budget does not make you successful at inbound marketing being an expert on the industry and having an opinion about the industry actually can make you really good at inbound marketing, even with $0 worth of budget. So you may not have the most beautifully designed blog in the world, but um, with inbound marketing, it's not always about the design. It's a lot more sort of about more about the steak than the sizzle. And so I think it depends on the person in their industry, but um, I would start doing some sort of, you know, either podcast or video, publish some content, podcast, video, you know, uh, written blog, whatever the case may be, um, Instagram channel, TikTok channel, like what, like it starts again, start with your customers and work your way out of like, where, where are they, what tools are they using? Where are they consuming content today? And then just create some content. And if you're passionate about, if you're the founder of business, typically you're passionate about what you're doing and you're passionate about the market, you should have something to say about that market. Um, and just, just get started. If you do those things, you'll probably, you know, develop kind of like a small group of folks that are paying attention to your content and that can really like grow over time. Um, so I don't know that budget inbound marketing really requires any budget at all. Some very minimal costs maybe, but to get started, you can also spend a lot of money on it and hire all sorts of writers and all designers and all these things, but you do not, 
you don't have to. Um, you could just, I mean, for a B2B business, it might be the best thing to just start posting articles on LinkedIn. Um, and that can be a great way to kind of get started and accumulate an audience. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, I know we've gotten a lot of really cool information from you and uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks a ton for having me. Love talking about this stuff. And that concludes our masterclass. For everyone else, please keep an eye out for future masterclasses. Um, and thanks for joining today.